This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Mike, of all the hunting you could do, you've chosen to pick up probably the hardest instrument to hunt with. And so the longbow has a, a tradition based going back to ancestors. Tell me why. I was attracted to hunting <clears throat> primarily because of my interest in Native Americans. I felt like Indians had a way of moving through the woods it was quiet, a lot of stealth, a lot of skill, could carefully approach animals to the point that they could use a very primitive weapon, a simple bent stick with a sinew string and an arrow they made. And with that implement, they were able to feed their families. They were able to fight off enemies and bears. And I admired that. And uh, I made a commitment to to the best of my ability to learn how to shoot a longbow and to take that instrument hunting. Is there, there's obviously been times in your career that you've been tempted to pick something else up and use another form of weapon to harvest an animal. No, there hasn't. Never? Never. 
the in the hunting world using that longbow you could almost say that fair chase is you you've, it's almost the pinnacle of fair chase based on how close you have to get the stealth and whatnot. Talk talk through a little bit of that. Fair chase well, you know, I I think fair chase can be done with any weapon. In the way you approach the animal, the environments in which you hunt the animal. Um, I think rifle hunters, black powder hunters, they have fair chase. They pick a particular animal, a very difficult piece of terrain, and they hunt. Uh, and they do it ethically, and they do it um, within the game laws. Uh, I am, I want, to be the biggest possible participant in this activity that I can be. And by using a very low-tech, primitive weapon, I feel I have to bring more to the event. I have to be a little smarter regarding the animals. I have to understand the way they move. And I have to have the skill to shoot when I'm fatigued, when there may be crosswinds, the shot might be difficult. All of those things play into whether or not I can harvest an animal. What about, to take that and put it in the perception of hunting that a non-hunter may have of hunting, that you guys are just killers. Mike, you're a killer. You're not a hunter. I think, uh, let me put it in uh, the image of somebody that's going out to pan for gold. And he's in Alaska and he's seen the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets that he's ever seen. He gets to see the rivers, the animals, feel the breezes, maybe see the northern lights, and he may just happen to pan some gold. But the gold doesn't measure the trip, the environment measures the trip, the effort that he put forward, forth to find the gold, that all adds up. So it's a collection of, of activities, one of which would be collecting the gold, but all the other activities feed into that. Well, Explain I don't. I, okay, so I don't necessarily grade hunts on the animal I kill. Approximately three years ago, we went on a bear hunt out of Unalakleet. We got there, there was an Arctic vortex. We were at negative 20 to 30 degrees for a week. We had to break ice and paddle a river for many, many miles to get to where we could be picked up by an airplane. I had frostbite on two fingers. I never picked up a weapon and pointed at any animal and it was one of the most remarkable trips of my life. Jason felt the same way. We all felt we had a very strong bonding event occur because of the weather and the environment that we had to uh, force our way through. Dig down into the why. Just explain that this was the most amazing hunt you ever went on. You didn't harvest the animal. Talk, explore that a little bit more, that, that deep-seated, why did that resonate so much with you? Because if we'd made a mistake, we would have died. We were in an environment we couldn't get out of easily. Uh, we all sat down, our guide was Lance with Freelance uh, Adventures. We talked about the situation we'd gotten into. We handled it as best we could. We had a huge ice flow one day break on us almost drove a few of us under the ice. We managed to get through that, found clear water, and ultimately um, we got through it all. Um, that was kind of a group effort of 
keeping our thoughts together, thinking clearly in miserable conditions. And uh, it's like anything you go through that uh, is a challenge. You come out of it and you have a certain amount of pride the way you handled the difficulty of the trip. Okay, it sounds like that trip, the more difficult it was, the more remarkable it became, the more it meant to you. And this is almost echoing back to last June when we had Jason in this chair and he was talking about the harder the better, essentially. And so you were, you infused that ethic into him and that ethic is obviously portraying here through you and, and what hunting means to you. Can you talk a little bit about just that element of it not being easy? Being hard, and, and that's why it, it's so meaningful. I, I just think, I really think for me, when I hunt, which I consider almost always more of an adventure, I'm really never measuring the horns on an animal. I, I'm measuring me and my abilities and my stress levels and being beyond my comfort zone and dealing with things that you never have to confront, which are new. Trusting in the people around me, the guides, my fellow hunters to get us all through this activity. And th that to me is how I measure the success of a hunt. They, I've been on hunts where you shoot an animal the first day and it might be a wonderful animal. It is, doesn't measure up against the trip I just described. Why was it so important to bury that same ethic into Jason? Uh, I didn't intend to imbue that into Jason or into Adam. I simply wanted to expose them to my belief that nothing in life worth having really comes easily. And you don't have to be the strongest or the fastest, you just have to be the most persistent. And that, I think, is a lesson that applies to almost every aspect of our lives. I personally think hunting is an excellent venue to help children understand the value of hard work and persistence. Mike, if I had to ask you a very simple question, when you respond to this, I want you to remember that nobody can hear me talking at this point. I want you to explain to me, maybe simply, maybe complicated, in a complicated fashion, the essence of why you hunt. The reason I hunt is an attempt to find out if those deeply buried abilities in my DNA, in my blood, if you will, are still reachable. Can I transfer back into the wilderness, find food, successfully hunt, camp, survive weather, all the things that the people who came before me did because when I'm touching those types of situations, I really feel closer to, I, to who I am. I, I like that person that handles those situations well.
Uh, I think for me, uh, it's, it's a very important part of my life. And it continues to help me understand in a more deep fashion with each passing decade what I'm about and um, what makes me happy. Mike, why is the Blood Origins Project important to the hunting community? I'm not sure the average citizen really knows what hunters are made of, why we do what we do. It's sometimes misrepresented in the news, um, and unfortunately sometimes misrepresented by us. In some of the films that we present to the public, it, it doesn't share the behind the scenes portions of the trip, which is the hard work, the months of planning, the training, the conditioning, the learning to shoot the weapon you're going to take, the contact with the um, outfitters. None of that shows. It's a concise, tight, bound event that quickly gets to the kill, measuring the trophy, and to many people that's what hunting represents. And I think that is, of all things, one of the least important aspects of what we do and why we do it. Thank you. Mike, why is it fun to hunt? Why is it fun to hunt, Mike? It's, it's fun to hunt because it's not fun to hunt. It's difficult to hunt. It's cold to hunt or it's hot to hunt. Um, you're climbing through all types of vegetation. Um, it's difficult to hunt. Uh, that's kind of the fun part of it um, because it's an opportunity to persevere when many others might quit or fail. Uh, and to have achieved something against all types of environmental obstacles, geographical obstacles, and be successful is, is really a wonderful experience um, for me. Great answer. I love that one. All right, I've already asked you the third question, so I'm going to go on to the fourth. And this one is going to, I want you to take your time, I want you to... <coughs> say whatever you say, and the response to me is, I don't want to answer that question, is also appropriate. Okay. Can you tell me about Jason? Jason um, was born a very thin, wiry child. Um, actually had kind of a difficult delivery. And he struggled with his athleticism and his lack of muscular size. So at a very young age, um, with both Adam and Jason, we started lifting weights. I think Adam uh, was about eight, Jason maybe six. We started with light weights. They loved to hike, so we would hike in the hills. We would introduce them to hunting. And from the first obstacle I saw in the field with Jason, he would not quit. Neither with his brother, but his brother was bigger and stronger. Didn't matter. Jason persevered. And anytime he failed, and he was cut off two junior All-American football teams twice in a row, he came and practiced with his brother. Then he finally made the team. Then he made the high school team, went to college, and finally played in the pros. He simply was an individual that could not accept failure and quitting was just not an option. That dominates 
my thoughts about Jason. And he is someone that I think, when we took on the concept of changing hunting gear, and this may be go beyond what that question asked, but I want to share this with you. 40 years ago, I almost lost my hunting partner to hypothermia. We were hunting elk, he wouldn't put on his rain gear, he was in a different canyon, he got soaked. I found him unconscious against the tree. I was with another individual, it's all we could do to get him on his feet, walk him out, and he almost died. So from that point forward, anybody I hunted with, I emphasized the importance of, of rain gear. No matter what you thought the weather was gonna do, we weren't gonna get wet. Jason grew up in that environment. It was, an, it was a frustration that cut into us every hunting season. Hunting was best when it was wet and we could not get wet and nothing we wore really was adequate. So deep in the Idaho mountains, sitting on a hillside one night, hunting elk, we had the discussion about why not have clothing that works. Jason says, I'm gonna find out what it's gonna to take to do this. That was the beginning of what became Sitka, when that dissolved, what became Kuyu. And when you think about what Jason is, has done, the biggest change between Sitka, which was retail, and Kuyu was his desire to touch his customers, to feel what they wanted, what they needed, what ideas they had and it simply wouldn't work in retail, but it would work in direct sales online. And he thrived on talking to every customer he could talk to in any airport, uh, over the phone, and he took their needs personally, and that is what's driven the company, the design, it keeps us on point. Um, our, our end users, I really don't like the term customers, I think it degrades the relationship, these are end users that we value more than anything else. And Jason would go out of his way to thank anybody that had Kuyu on. So what about Jason? Hard worker, always did it right, played the game, football hard, worked hard, hunted hard, and kept his promises to his, to his family and to the end users that wear his products today. So I feel very fortunate to have had 47 years with him. Uh, it's rare that a child becomes a, um, a role model, but Jason did for me. He kept his promises. Mm -hmm. And that we wouldn't have filmed Jeff Robin this morning if it wasn't for Jason Heston who kept his promise. Right. You know, in the 18 months that we have been in what we have been doing, we've heard so many times people say, oh yeah, we love your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get on front Never materialized. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to introduce you to this person. Right. Never materialized. Jason said, I'm going to introduce you to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, right. this guy, this guy. And next day, five introductions. Right. It's, you know, it seems a simple thing to tell your children to don't make promises you can't keep. But if they listen and they do it, people will go, they're different. I, I don't think they're different. They're right. They're correct. People that don't follow up aren't correct. And it doesn't take me long to figure that out and I'm done. I need, I need response, I need feedback, I need somebody that's got a passion like I do. And if you don't have it, I do, it's fine, I don't need the contact.
My name is Mike Kirsten. I'm a traditional bow hunter. I'm a father. And I'm a conservationist. <laughs> Give me the start of the next one. <laughs> Everyone has their own story. This is mine. It's in the blood. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.